This is Talk Is Sheep, the official podcast of the Wild Sheep Society of BC, brought to you by Sitka Come along as we bring conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. This episode is sponsored by our conservation partner, Swarovski Optic. Thank you, Sitka Gear and Swarovski Optic, for investing in healthy wildlife and sustainable ecosystems. Hey, Brian, how's it going, buddy? Good, how are you doing? Good, good. So, uh, you've been busy lately, eh? You, you just get back from Mexico? Yeah, yeah. Got Here. back from Mexico and jumped right in to kind of trying to scout for some mule deer and black bears and been busy trying to get the trucks and quads and trailers all maintenance and get ready for a bear season. All right, all right on. So for our, our listeners that uh, might not recognize, who are you? Where are you from? All right. I'm uh, Brian Spitzig. Um Originally from Ontario, but I've been in Alberta for, I think, like 13 or 14 years. Uh, been a professional guide for, I think, 17 years now, and I've been an outfitter for nine. And so, right on. Keeping busy then. What 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 uh, drove you into that, do you think? What, like, what led you into that outdoors world? Oh, I just got kind of hooked up with some guys in, uh, in college and then became a fishing guide. And then... Just kind of meet this guy and go guide here, then meet this guy and go guide there. And it was just such a small circle. I ended up kind of getting into the Yukon, and that's kind of when everything just shifted gears for me once I figured out what those white sheep were. Yeah, you're kind of uh, a humble humble leader in the the sheep world over there. uh, You don't always tell the story, but... You know, when you're down in Reno, you get a few drinks in you and you whip out your phone, you see some incredible rams that you're, uh, you manage to take every year with clients. Yeah, it's just, uh, everybody knows that you guys are from BC, so you guys can kind of see the resident pressure and stuff like that. And so in the Yukon, we're just trying to keep it hush-hush. And, you know, like you said, like if you want to know what, we, what we're killing or what we're doing, you just got to you know, corner us at the right time, I guess. And yeah, just come to the booth at all the shows and, you know, there's all the pictures and, and all the stories that go with it. If you want to have a beer and chit chat about it. So. Yeah. I think another good place to corner you is that circle bar outside the banquet hall there. <laughs> oh yeah. Be uh, running into each other every year. Yeah. Yeah. I've been known to have a couple of beers at the circle bar, you know, yeah, I think that's where we solve solve all the world's problems and oh, yeah. figure out what we're doing next in the conservation world. I try to hide out from the uh, backpack race a little bit. I did that once or twice, but it never ends up too good when you're wearing a pair of cowboy boots and have a couple beers into you. Well, we haven't seen you in the horse packing competition yet either, I don't think. Oh, I, me and Greg Spenner, we did that this year. and That was the first oh, for I me as well, that. but I don't. Well, we're about a minute slower than the winner so i guess that's not too bad blame it on penalties right oh yeah yeah blame it on the judging yeah yeah so are you, when you're uh, guiding for sheep up in the yukon who are you, who are you working for up there i spent four years at bonnet plume uh doing doll sheep and then i've been with uh yukon stone outfitters with Aaron Florian for the last uh, eight years. All right. Yeah. 
So, sounds like there's a, a dog going to town on water somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Got some hounds in the background there? Uh, just one one hound dog, but but she's going back downstairs now. Oh, perfect. I run into that every now and then on this podcast. Kyle will attest to that. Yeah. Usually quick. To- I, I got a, I got a couple too. So yeah, we're dog friendly. It's awesome. So yeah. So what's a, your your typical season like? When do you start? When you go up to the Yukon there? Well, I, I my season really never ends because I don't really have a real job. So I guess I'm fairly lucky enough to just be guiding and outfitting the whole time and so if i'm not scouting or hiking around look for animals you know i'm just kind of actually hunting so i usually start in the yukon beginning of july i'll kind of go backpack scouting a little bit and then come back out and we'll shoe the horses and we got about 50 head of horses we got to shoe and then all the guides and wranglers disperse from our main camp and they're kind of gone for the whole season so you don't really when do you come out? Early to mid-October. You know, once uh, once the starts, snow starts flying and the bootstraps kind of dying off, you know, it's time to get out and head down south and start looking for whitetails and mule deer. Okay. When you're up in the Yukon, if you're coming out in October, are you diving in for uh, caribou and moose and anything else? Yeah, we just usually... Uh, hunt sheep in August and you know half of September and then uh, it's moose season mm-hmm. and then secondary animals are obviously your caribou, grizzly bears, black bears and yeah, uh, wolverines, wolves, stuff like that. So enough to keep you busy then, eh? Oh yeah, there's if you're not. It's funny you spend that much time up there and you really don't really take a lot of critters. You know, there's just a lot of hunting and you know stone sheep is definitely a lot different than a a dull sheep hunt as i'm sure you guys know that from bc that kyle's kyle's pretty seasoned on both of them there he's got another dull hunt coming up lucky bugger (laughs) there you go season's just not very good at it that's all been out lots just never kill anything so (laughs) there you go so you know you're you're kind of a no bullshit kind of guy there, Brian, and you know you're dealing with clients all the time. And you ever get those ones that you're just like, "Why are you here?" <laughs> yeah, I, you don't have to answer that question. <laughs> it's, it's, I always ask the guys, uh, you know, like what drives them to come on a sheep hunt, and you know, what have you done to prepare yourself for the sheep hunt, and kind of where did it all start? And you know, there's a wide range of answers i guess but most of it's like personal growth and challenging themselves because they're you know they're usually pretty good businessmen uh in their field of choice but when they come out to the mountains it's like well now you're in my office so you know let's stick close and we'll have a good time and we'll definitely work our tails off that's for sure yeah what what would you like, you know, you got horses, but I'm sure your, your boots on the ground substantially. What, what would you say is kind of like, you know, physically preparedness? What should you be expecting when you get out there with you guys? Uh, probably a sore ass from, uh, from the saddle. Um, 
<laughs> there's not sheep on every single mountain. So you're definitely going to get picked up from one place and we're going to have a pretty good trek to get to the, where the sheep are. And then, uh, yeah, just, we'll, we'll just change it up at any point in time. Like, you know, some mountains are easier to hunt with horses and sometimes you just can't get the horses around. So you just got to dump the horses and go with a backpack style hunt. So, so yeah, you kind of got to be able to do both horses and just a backpack style. If you're going to be successful, you start, do you guys reach out to clients and tell them, you know, Hey, we're kind of expecting this physical level. You need to be able to put this amount of kilometers on every day, kind of get them prepared or just let them show up to camp and go, all right, I guess we're horseback hunting. Yeah. Like, I think that's the biggest difference between uh, stone sheep hunting and doll sheep hunting. Like most people have been on a stone sheep, you know, they've probably done some kind of mountain hunting before um, since it's like twice as much money for a stone than is a doll. So you're not really, I hate to say it, like you're not really babysitting hunters as much. You're not trying to calm them down of the overwhelming mountains and stuff like that. Like you're kind of just guys of, you can kind of hunt together a little harder because they already been on some mountain hunts and, and stuff like that. So, and also like the shooting capabilities of hunters these days, the guns, you know, everybody's kind of at the range shooting a thousand yards and like, that's probably not even that far for some people nowadays, but so the readiness of the hunters is definitely um, a lot more in the stone sheep world than in the dull sheep, I would say. Yeah. Well, what, what do you expect? Uh, or shouldn't expect, but your your average shot would you say? You, you guys, you know, four or five hundred, or yeah, it's you're all gonna, over the map. Yeah, you're going to be right there in the three hundred yards to five hundred yards. You know, pretty consistently. But I just, I think my closest one was like sixty-eight yards or something like that. So that's uh that's fairly up close and personal, then. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. It's pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Got an eclipse. And, Must have uh, been just the right wind. Oh, uh, we just found the, the sheep in the cliffs and he got away from his friends. So we can get uh, snuck in through the cliffs and got on top of them. And it was just, I thought it was going to be about 150 yards. But when we got there, he wasn't there to be found. So I'm like, oh, where'd he go? Where'd he go? And I kind of just peeked over the ledge and he was directly below us. And so. I'm glad the hunter had a, you know, Swarovski V8 with a probably 30 power scope on it. <laughs> so kind of had a ch- can't can't find the. Oh, we had a big chuckle about bringing the giant scope after when it's under a hundred yard shot, but that's just the way it goes. That's perfect, all that, all that prep and training and the expensive scope, and then you know, if sometimes when you're that close and you got that powerful of a scope, you. You're looking down the side of the barrel almost. It's like, I can't even find this friggin' thing in here. Yeah, I think that's kind of what happened. Well, been there. Done that if more than once. <laughs> yeah. But live and learn, I guess. So. So what, uh, what would you say when you go into the backcountry, what's like the one thing you can't go without when you head out there? Into the backcountry. Piece of equipment and not, not your, well, where you're guiding, you're in the backcountry. So 
and your gun doesn't count, what's the one thing that you got to bring? Uh, a good working thermarest. <laughs> a good sleeping. <laughs> Go, good night's sleep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I've gone through so many of them, but with the horses, at least you can use horse blankets. But yeah, I just. I'm not too picky these days. I just kind of, you know, I'm not really a big gear Nazi anymore and or gear nerd and just kind of, I got my system and just kind of go with it. So, you know, I don't really take a lot of extra stuff besides, you know, contacts and, you know, just a little first aid stuff, but kind of keep pretty light. And after so many years of kind of living in the mountains for that long, I just just get used to roughing it yeah well i guess you know when you say the sleep pad too if you're out there that long a good night's sleep's uh probably few and far between for you oh yeah well you hike all day we we rest pretty good you know it's you get the guys that are so eager with 24-hour light let's go let's go let's go i'm like hold on hold on like we're gonna get our eight hours of sleep and we'll get up and give her as hard as we can during the day but you got to have your rest as well. And also we're kind of not really eating all that backpack food either. We're eating pretty good with the horses. So you can, you know, pork loins and smoked pork ribs, rotisserie chickens, you know, potatoes, carrots, you know, <laughs> salad. So, so we're not, really roughing it. Yeah, really roughing it. Yeah. So. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. That's a little bit uh, better than chewing on freeze dried for two weeks. Or for you, be months. Oh yeah, I just, I just lose so much weight eating that stuff. It's pretty hard to, to keep it going for, you know, three back to back sheep hunts and then get into the moose after that. But, you know, our, our sheep hunts are fourteen days long, so even like the extra four days of food, it's quite a bit of extra weight too. Yeah, for sure. Do you guys have to have uh, food drops or do you guys typically bring enough in with the 50 horses at the start of the season? Yeah. Like each guy will have probably a string of 10 horses. So, you know, as long as you're not carrying too much personal gear, like you have enough good food for three quarters of the hunt and you kind of dive into like some uh, canned meat and stuff like that. But you don't really, with 10 horses, it's quite a bit. Yeah. How many guys go out? Typically, it would be you, a wrangler, and a client? Or yeah. yeah. Usually, it's just, uh, it usually, it's just me and a wrangler and the one client. And Last year, we had a husband and wife come up, so uh, just an extra pony is all it is. But. So, would that extra person, would they be a hunter? Or they, do you guys have guests? For whatever a certain fee uh, deal. Yeah, we have some non-hunters come up that just you know want to want the experience um, with their significant other or just a hunting buddy. And other times you have a guy that's like, hey, you know, if there's an opportunity for me to shoot a caribou, then you know they'd take the caribou, but they're not they're gonna shoot a high dollar animal like a sheep or a moose. Yeah, that's fair. It's a, that's one you got to be prepared for when you shoot it. Yeah. Yeah, when it, comes, when it comes to sheep. So, you know, your your sheep season ends and you're rolling into moose and caribou and uh, 
you got to up in the Yukon, you got to have some some interesting situations you got to pull the moose out of, I'd imagine. Cuz I've hunted, you know, the the Yukon border and I you see the uh some of those swamps those guys live in. You ever get those moments where the the client pulls the trigger, the moose drops and you just look at him it's like, "All right, this is going to be a long day." <laughs> yeah, I've had a couple over the years where they tip over into the river instead of tipping onto the bank or whatever like that. But uh, you just pull your pants off and jump in the river and start hacking away. You know, like at least with a horse, sometimes you can drag it down or the jet boat, drag it somewhere might be a little accessible, but no, it's always, uh, we don't really, where I hunt, it's more timbered. So it's actually, you know, might get stuck beside a tree or something and, or down in a little hole or something like that. But, you know, I'm not a very big guy, but you know, the little tricks to, to be able to like, you know, flip a moose, you know, over a couple of times to get in the better spots or just grab a hole with a horse or something like that. So I've had my share of, you know, bad spots, but over the 40 or 50 moose that I've guided, it's, you know, there's nothing that really sticks out in my mind anymore that surprises me. Well, and in that case, then what's the uh, the biggest moose you've you, you can remember that you've been a part of? Uh I got a deadhead in the in the uh, garage. It scores two thirty three. That's that was a pretty sweet find. But as for guiding, as for guiding, I don't know like the exact numbers when I was younger, but probably close to like a high thirties, two thirties, you know, sixty eight, sixty nine inch moose. Those are those aren't little animals. Those <laughs> those are good numbers if you're shooting high sixties. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Like the you know the, the Yukon. I used to always love you know just chasing the giant moose and looking for the next biggest one. But you know over the years, as soon as I changed the stone sheep, kind of my favoritism kind of went towards the the stone sheep than the than the other critters in the mountains. Yeah. So. Brian, why, why, why stone sheep? Why are you so freaking uh, manic about it? Um, and what what makes stone sheep so, or sheep in general, but stone sheep in particular, so so freaking amazing? <laughs> ah, there's just so much to it. Um, well, everybody knows like sheep hunting is just um, probably one of the hardest things that you can do, like to challenge yourself. Um, and then, you know, the places where they take you, you know, you're going on all the mountaintops and stuff like that. But the stone sheep, in my opinion, is the most beautiful animal in North America, in my opinion. So especially the ones we have in the Yukon with the, the crazy different color combinations, you know, the dark body, perfect white face and just the big swooping horns. And so to me, like... Stone sheep just really has taken over, <laughs> especially when uh, COVID hit there. Um, I got pretty emotional, like, oh, my God, it's my 10th year in the Yukon, and please don't take this away from me. And then there was uh, – we had only one stone sheep hunter that year, and I was lucky enough to guide him and just kind of like – it really hit home to to see the emotions that I was getting just from just – from guiding stone sheep i was like oh man i'm I'm in deep trouble like 
I can't remember the last thing I've felt this passionate about or this emotional about. So I don't think about the words. I, I think the addiction or the passion is only getting thicker and thicker as the years go on. So I don't see myself quitting stone sheep so, anytime soon. So for you, Brian, like you've, you've seen it all, you've done it all. You've guided, you know, big stone sheep. You've, um, and you, you've hunted all these other great species too. But now for you, like, how do you, you know, what keeps you going out there? Like, obviously there's the, the hunt, like that's, it's fun. Like it's clearly, it's hard, it's rewarding, it's fun. But is there something out there like, you know, when you're, are you thinking about, you, you know, you want to shoot the biggest stone sheep you've ever killed. You want to shoot something unique. Like what, what kind of keeps you coming back each and every year? Like, obviously you just love being out there. That's, that's clear. But is there something that, that you're like, is there, or is there something you want to achieve uh, in your quote stone sheep hunting career? Yeah, you know, if you would ask me that question maybe five or six years ago, I would have said it'd be sweet to be, uh, you know, the outfitter of a of a stone sheep area, um, and you know that's a pretty big, uh, you know, bar to set. But what keeps me going on a, on a shorter term would be, uh, you know, some clients just that I've been guiding over the years. They oh, we're coming back for a second stone sheep, and and so you know you kind of feel uh not come yeah I don't know, you just kind of want to go back and have another hunt with that guy you know you know go look for the biggest baddest stone sheep ram in the mountains so you know tie your boots tight and let's see what we can find so yeah like there's always you don't know what's in the mountains so you know that big booner is out there somewhere and i'm gonna find it but awesome so when you're out there like I, I, I've got my own personal goals and my own stuff, and there's things that I see out there that are permanently etched in my brain. Um, sure, it's different for you. When you think back, like in, you know, what's when you see something in the landscape? Maybe it's a grizzly bear, or maybe you see a band, a big band of rams, or maybe you see the Booner skyline, or what? You know, is there something that really stands out in your memory? Where like, shit, man, that was an incredible day to see something like that. Anything like that that come to mind? Oh, there's a couple, I guess. But uh, um, <laughs> the biggest caribou I ever got was, I don't know, somewhere around like 430 inches. And same thing, we crested a mountaintop and looked across to the next mountain. And there's just this, it was huge. <laughs> like, it was the biggest thing I've ever seen. So it stuck out. Like, we got to go kill that for sure. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Just that thing's dying. But uh yeah, in the stone sheep world too, I guess like, uh, you know, you just take good inventory and you see some younger rams coming up and, you know, I've been lucky enough to be able to hunt some of the same areas, same band as a ram for so long that, you know, you see a ram that's, you know, five years later you go and, uh, you know, get to go, you get to harvest them after looking at them for five years. And then, you know, a couple of years later you could go back and, uh, you know, hunt his brother. And so that's kind of cool to, to really understand um, or get to know the different bands of rams. And just, you know, I start naming some rams, you know, that I don't name all the rams, but if I have a special ram, you know, I'll, I'll name it just so you don't have to always talk to the boss about, Hey, you know, you know, that, you know, that different colored ram with, you know, the weird thing on his head. And so you know, that's kind of the only reason why I'd, you know, name them, but. Yeah, 
Very cool. So, you know, obviously, uh, Aaron, you know, he's as as the outfitter, he's he's thinking about sustainability and legacy and leaving sheep on the mountain so that he'll have a business there. How big a role do you think you play in that as a guide? Like, do you have, you know, you have your own ethics and stuff you set out there and you're thinking about that and you're thinking, okay, like you, you maybe, you know, maybe you got a wife, husband and wife or two brothers or something, you're taking them out. Maybe there's two legal rams in there. Would you, will you sit there and say, yeah, we're only going to take one out of here? How big a role do you guys play in that? Maybe you directly. And, and then, you know, if it's more so Aaron's call, you know, how much does he play a role in that in terms of, you know, because I know you guys, there's a lot of self-regulation as an outfitter, right? Obviously, the government gives you quotas and all that sort of stuff, but you know, they, there's a lot of self-regulation too. So, talk a little bit about how you guys look at that that aspect of it, Brian, if you don't mind. Yeah, so I think there's been, um, you know, a lot of conversations, definitely between Aaron and myself. Um, Aaron being the owner, and um, uh, so yeah, we'd kind of just have changed the way that we manage our, our sheep populations simply by leaving an older ram in the band. So instead of there's a, an eight year old and 10 year old, well, that's easy. We shoot a 10 year old, but even though that the eight year old is legal on age and curl, and I don't care if he's 39 inches, we're, we're just going to leave him there. So, the other rams, let's say there's five other rams besides that eight-year-old that are all younger, you know, let's say three, five, four, you know, that older ram will, you know, help the younger ram survive the winters and, you know, and stuff like that. And then what we've noticed is that more rams will actually join the group, you know, throughout the winter. So I think over the years of actually doing that management practice, instead of there's a legal ram, you know, shoot it. You know, there's not legal ram, shoot it. Um, leaving a good aged ram in the band is definitely we're seeing it help out the populations. You know, so um, if there is calls to be had, so you know, if they okay, we're having a tough hunt. You know, we're gonna think about shooting a younger ram, a legal ram, and you know, those conversations are are had with uh with Aaron personally and then I've had those conversations before so I know exactly what he's going to ask me and so I have it you know listed out like hey this is this 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 is this and you know do I get the green go or you know or do I get <laughs> nope go keep on looking so just trying to keep the uh you know the other guys in the on the team you know just on the same the same uh measurement programs that the rest of us are all doing so you know keep healthy populations and not really worrying about if we're going to find legal rams it's just you know we want to keep that 10 you know 10 year age average just like every other sheep outfitter right on so i've heard that about like if you kill the two legal rams or the two mature rams in the group and then you know they end up they, they get in a lot of trouble, right? Like it screws up the rut because you got, you know, five, six, seven-year-old rams that are trying to breed the ewes and, um, you know, running the ewes that they shouldn't have been because they're they're too young and dumb to know what to do. Whereas you get that, I guess, that leadership from that mature ram, you don't have those issues. Have you seen that personally? Like, have you experienced that? Like you've seen the good side of 
what happens if you leave that ram and that band. But if you kill them, have you seen that? Like you know, in previous years before you guys started doing that, where it's kind of screwed things up on the mountain, or not really? Um, I just think it's a little bit more difficult hunting if you uh, you know instead of looking for the band of rams and you know and inventorying them all and knowing that hey you're gonna go kill that dog or that uh that ram this year and okay we're gonna leave those rams on the mountains for next year if you're just you know killing all the legal rams now you don't really have any like safety net now you got to go and find a new band of rams and that's not always the easiest thing like there's only so many sheep on the mountain so in an entire outfit so you know we got let's say five guides out there and you know we we cover it pretty good i think you know there's not a lot of country that that we're not looking over so um if you just continue um like i said you get rid of that safety net well all of a sudden you get a hard winter and knocks back another you know age structure so now what happens you know now you're gonna have a uh, low success altogether you know, you might have some guys that just don't get a stone sheep and you're just like, oh man, you know, you worked your tail off and just couldn't get it done because, you know, you shot a seven or eight year old ram, you know, instead of letting him be the boss for another two years. Right on. Um, Brian, one thing I'm curious about is, you know, you're, you're basically, I guess the head guide and you got all these young guys, you got the, you know, five guys there. How how big is mentorship in that? Like you know, freaking sheep hunting's bloody hard. We know that it's for a variety of reasons. There's so much to do and so much to learn. But aging, mature rams, all that sort of stuff is is bloody hard. Like you said, you see a six year old that's thirty nine inches, and it's like you know, it takes some maturity and to know what you're doing. And I can see a, you know a, a guy in his first year might have a little bit of trouble with something like that. Um, is there a lot of mentorship and a lot of support that you guys provide with these young young guys that are coming in, or are they learning that as the uh, as the um, uh, uh, what horse handler? What wrangler. the I'm losing my brain here? The wrangler. My goodness, that's embarrassing. I granted, I've never done it, but uh, I know what they are. Anyway, sorry for all the wranglers out there. But you know, is there a lot of mentorship, or are they getting that mentorship and experience before they even get, uh, you know, they even take their their first guy out there? Are they are they a junior guide coming along with you, uh, and you're kind of mentoring them that first year? How does that work? Yeah, so we definitely like. Uh, I would say that I'm. The most yeah the most seniority there at Yukon Stone I've been there the longest but uh you know Greg Spenner our um, our outfitter he's got 38 years experience I think he's at 99 or 98 stone sheep you know like he's guided like he's got more experience than I am age wise so um, between him and I um, we definitely um, take on a big role of um, teaching all the, the younger uh, wranglers and, you know, and trying to get them on sheep kills. Cause I, that's probably the biggest thing is, is watching sheep tip over, um, you know, time in time again. And, and like you guys know, if you have seen a sheep, you know, you work your tail off for eight days and then the ninth day it is you walk up the mountain and you tip it over. It's just like, well, why, why couldn't that be day two or three? You know, it's, why was it so hard? but I guess that sheep hunting. So, or hunting in general. Um, so what we try to do is we always try to keep the wrangler with us in the game. Um, 
you know, make sure he's got his binoculars and he's, you know, trying to glass up rams and stuff like that. And it becomes a little bit of a game, you know, like, you know, I, I want to see them like try to find animals before me. And yeah, I've took a couple dollar bills out of some wranglers hands, you know, just, you know, little, you know, little bets, you know, who can find the first ram, the biggest ram or whatever. Right. So, um, so they don't really get a chance to guide right away in this, you know, especially sheep, you know, it's going to be three years of, you know, being an apprentice and um, before they're going to actually get their chance to, to guide a stone sheep. Um, but, you know, they'll get, they'll cut their teeth on, you know, some moose hunts or a grizzly bear hunt or a caribou hunt that they can, you know, get the experience. Um, and then, you know, you kind of, Set, set them up for success, you know, saying, so, you know, Hey, you know, remember those caribou that were over there the other day? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, go take your client and go whack one. Then you know, they come back and everybody's happy. They, you know, guide his first caribou and or his first ever animal. And, and so just kind of reinforcement and, you know, if something goes wrong and you guys, you know, and there's all the, all the inreaches nowadays, I'm always checking up on all the other guides and, making sure, you know, everything's going good. If they're half struggling and I've been in that area before, I was like, Hey, well, have you gone over here? Have you gone over there? And trying to, you know, give them pointers and make sure, you know, camp morale is, you know, decent too. So I think that answers your question about going from regular to guide. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for the, uh, linguistics lesson there like i can't remember what i'm talking about um awesome so now one other thing i was kind of wondering about is the safety aspect you know it's it's been a few times in the mountains that you know i'm by no means an experienced guy and i've been out there and and you know you get in a storm and you're on top of the hill the mountain and stuff like that and you're like you know you're on ramps you're like shit i gotta get off here where you know i just and maybe it's safe like i just didn't have enough experience to know but you ever get young guys that in their first couple of years and we all know that everyone gets in trouble once in a while, but have you had situations where guys don't have quite enough experience and they end up getting in a safety situation with their, uh, with their client or has that ever been an issue for you guys? Um, not that I can think of. No, like I would say some of the biggest issues would be is just the horsemanship. Um, like I think the biggest thing challenge I had last year um, on the first stone sheep pond was we had so much rain that when I went to cross a river, it was swollen up and uh, it was, uh, it was not fun to cross. And um, you know, the ponies had to swim a little harder and, but everybody made it across fine. But um, you know, it's the same thing as, you know, you put yourself in the wrong position, you know, between two horses with pack boxes and, something moves you can be you know kind of caught between the two pack boxes or stuff like that so it's really not the really not the hunters that are kind of the ones that are getting in trouble we put them on the best horses and you know just kind of always looking out for their safety so it's kind of like the wrangler and the guides that are putting themselves in situations about you know chainsaws and you know you know horse wrecks and stuff like that. So we just try to keep the, the clients kind of at a safe distance when, you know, there's a big horse wreck or something, but there is always thing, you know, I had one hunter, he was six foot four, I think, and he had a, on a big horse and 
we all went underneath the tree branch, no problem. But he went underneath and his backpack got caught and ripped him right off the horse. So, you know, stuff, <laughs> you know sometimes just a shit that would have hurt. Oh, he was an older fella too. That was, that was the worst part. But, <laughs> and so Ooh, I can't imagine getting ripped off your horse from six feet up and then having a pack on top of it. And maybe it softened the blow, but I doubt yeah, it. I don't know. It, <laughs> we didn't get him a rabbit. It, it unfortunately, I think he broke a rib and, we had to get them out. So, Yikes. but freak accidents, you know, just stuff like that. But I think that's probably one of the worst things that I've encountered in my own hunts. You know, I've seen some really, really close calls, but you know, nothing that, you know, you look back and it's like, man, that could have been way worse. So, yeah. You guys have a lot of bears, bears in your area there. Um, Definitely not a lot. Um, you know, I live here in Grand Cache, Alberta, and you know, there's way more grizzly bears here in Alberta. I think there is in the Yukon. So, um, I think the stories I hear about BC as well, like after they shut it down, like there's just way more grizzly bears. So, um, you're gonna see them. Like I wish we would see a lot more big ones, but so then hunters would be more entailed to shoot them because. Not many hunters want to shoot like a, you know, a six and a half, seven foot grizzly bear. They're all looking for that legendary eight foot, you know, grizzly bear. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. So do you guys, you guys haven't had too many trouble, too much trouble with grizzlies in camp or anything like that or any close calls that are pretty scary? Well, I had uh, one camp. It wasn't a grizzly. It was actually like a little two year old black bear. Um actually ripped open the side of the QU tent and stepped right on my hunter's feet. And so we ended up chasing him out of camp and, you know, we had actually dispatched that bear at, and it was a couple days later, he was licking some pans and in the kitchen there. And it's at five o'clock in the morning. We zipped open the tent. He was about four feet away from my Wrangler and he actually uh, dispatched of it. And no problem really. Just kind of got to, do the protocols of talking with the COs and hand them the carcass and give them a, your statement. And, you know, it's not a really big deal if it's a, a problem bear that's ripping open tents and stepping on hunters. Right. So, but besides that, mm, I don't really have too many other bear stories uh, in camp. Yeah. I guess when you start getting the, the problem bear coming in you, you gotta handle that quickly especially if you're gonna be out there for a while eh? oh yeah especially if he's eating all your food you know yeah that's number one you can't you're not going very far if you got no food so yeah <laughs> and if they're if they're getting brazen in the tents and jumping in the kitchen yeah some dicey situations are brewing for sure yeah do you guys deal with any like the, you got wolverines coming into camp stealing while you guys are out or raiding your your pack horses i had that one time at bonnet plume kind of came in and stole back straps moose back straps but um no it, they're far a few from between when i see them and you know where i am now in the pelly mountains it's just way more trees and stuff like that so i've only seen a couple over the last so many years at yukon stone no, okay. What's what's the one hunt, the 
that you need to do? You, you've got your stone. Is it stones for everything, or is you know you, you're all over the map? You're down in Mexico hunting. You're in you're in Alberta. Is stones your number one? Yeah, I'd like to uh, at least get a chance to guide or hunt. You know, all the species. So I'm getting pretty close to that, and um, I'm still part of the Less One Club. So as soon as I get the chance to whack my own sheep, you know, I. I hope I have some really close friends beside me because I know that's going to be uh, an emotional time for me. Does does the lesson one club count for you? You you know you you may not have shot one on your own, but how many have you actually been a part of that you're responsible for? It's got to be it's got to be a pretty decent number. Yeah, I, I did the math there um, after I had a uh, Bradford Black this year. I, I helped him get his thirtieth. Uh, um sheep which got him the uh the pantheon award and so i was thinking well maybe this is my 30th sheep and which would have been pretty cool but i'm actually at a i think it was my 20th uh stone sheep is what that that hunt was for me so so that was pretty cool you guide do you guide for any other sheep besides stones and then you used to guide for dolls or and then you go into big horns or deserts or at all no, yeah, I'll start doing uh, desert bighorns. Uh, I got to hunt um, this uh, December, but um, the bighorns, I'm usually just so so tired after three months in the Yukon that I've been able to put a sheep tag in my pocket a couple of times, but and just go in my backyard here in, in the Wilmore. But um, it's pretty hard to, to put a full effort in when you're just that drug down after three months of guiding in the Yukon. Plus I have my own uh, whitetail mule deer outfit that I'm gearing up for, for the month of uh, November and the end of October. So there's not a lot of time for me to get out and, and get my own sheep. How long have you done the mule deer and whitetail? Uh, I've been outfitting for nine years. This would be my ninth season. Ninth season of your own. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. I've, didn't realize it was that long. That's that's, well, that's good. <laughs> Near it, I longevity is that. Yeah. <laughs> where where are you? Where's your guide area at for that, uh, bro? Uh, right around here, like Grand Cache, Hinton area. Yeah. Okay. What kind of class of deer are you killing out there, Muley? Killing and chasing is two different things. <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fair. Yeah, enough. I got. I've been chasing a deer I call Elvis for seven and a half, seven years. If if he's still alive this year, I think he's ten and a half years old. And he's wow. last time I seen him, he's probably well. I think he's going downhill now a little bit, but I think the biggest he was was about two ten. Wow! And he's just wow, just a he's all over my cameras and runs around like an idiot breeding all the does. But he's just this is this is hard hunting. These are not just like these are bush bucks, mountain bucks kind of hunting. So it's. It's not like you're out there in the farmland and see 20 does up in the farmer's field and watch the bucks go and sniff around. But this is tight quarters in the mountains, in the, you know, in the thick bush. So it's. So how are you guys hunting them? How do you take guys in there? Like, are you horsebacking in or are you like spot and stock? Are you tree stand? What do you do? Um, lucky enough that uh, I don't really go too far. Um off the beaten path uh like there's no 
I don't think there's too many deer back in the Wilmore. So I'm kind of just using oil filled roads and stuff like that and just getting down and dirty and looking for the, you know, these pockets of deer. And, you know, you, you put a camera up and leave it there for 10 years, you know, you're going to watch a lot of deer come and go. So that's just kind of how I've been doing it. And it's kind of close counters, you know, kind of bow hunting with a rifle almost, you know, you're shooting deer at 30, 40 yards. Super cool. And uh, are they typically typical, non-typical, heavy? What what kind of, you know, obviously there's some big deer there clearly, but what kind of stuff can you expect to see? Mixed bag? Or yeah, what? mixed bag. I got, you know, a lot of uh, Jit X where you got, you know, some stickers and some drop tines and stuff like that. So, um, you know, just really dark antlers and stuff like that too. So just big, beefy mountain deer and stuff like that. So sweet so for you obviously you're guiding um but you can kill your own every year are you shooting a deer every year or, or close to it or what do you do for yourself yeah you know covid kind of kind of took its toll on us here as well you know for, just like everybody so i had a couple of years there to do my own kind of hunting and stuff like that but i chased elvis myself for so long that he's it's, it's almost wrecked hunting for whitetail hunting for me because it's you try so hard you know the year and you're out, you know, putting clients on them. And then, you know, you go hunt them yourself for 30 days straight, you know, and it's like, man, where is he? And then, you know, and the season comes, you know, last couple of days, you're just like, well, that's a nice buck. Screw it. Shoot him, you know, fill the freezer. Personally, I, I like the taste of them. So, you know, there's no use having, you know, tag soup, you know, you can at least have, you know, some beard or deer back straps. Yeah, right on. So why are you call him Elvis? Because he's the king, he's the king. or yeah. is he? Uh, yeah, yeah, right on. He's the king, yeah. and his antlers are so tall; like he looks like Elvis's hair, right? Okay, so. cool. Right on. So, if you, what do you prefer, mule deer or whitetail? Uh, like in in your area and that sort of stuff. If you're going to go hunting something on your own, what are you going to go after, mule deer? Uh, or the the mule deer isn't as uh, proliferate, you know, as many deer here as as I like. So. You know, I mainly focus on the white tails and stuff like that. So I, I'd i have to go towards the white tails and the mule deer in my, in my area. Right on. So if you, when you bring guys in, do you guys have, do you have guides as well or are you able to do it all yourself? Uh, I've been, you know, I keep myself fairly busy um, doing it. And then, you know, if I have, uh, you know, bigger groups of clients and yeah, I usually you know, hire some guy, you know, an extra guide to do a group of four or something like that. You know, same as my black bears this spring, you know, got a group of four. So got to find a guide to kind of fill in for the week and get me through it. So. Right on. And do you have quite a few tags or you, you get quite a few guys through? Or? Yeah, I got, I own 30 tags, but I've never, okay. I've never got to fill them all yet. You know, I haven't really been that successful. Just kind of keep myself busy right. and, you know, and the same thing. Like you try to kill too many animals and, you know, you just kind of shoot yourself in the foot again. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then are you, are you guys guiding for black bears right now or is it what's going on? Yeah, I kind of started doing spot and stock black bears, you know, same with COVID kind of hit and, uh, my friends that were, I was running, not running, I was working for them in their baited outfits. 
And, you know, once COVID happened, I just kind of decided to kind of gear up my own, you know, a little bit more and more. So, you know, I'll, I'll start, uh, clients arrive at the end of May and we'll hunt, you know, end of, you know, last week of May through June. Right on. That's cool. And you guys get some pretty big bears out there too? Yeah. Yeah. We got some, a lot of color phase bears and, you know, I've never seen a Booner black bear yet, even after 12 years of doing baited hunts, but I don't know. It's just, if guys are wanting a boot and crockett black bear, I'm probably not going to book them. I'm just going to, you know, you want to go on a nice spot stock hunt and see some country and see some bears and, you know, shoot the biggest one we can find. That, that's what we're doing. It's not picking and choosing like you can uh, with the baited hunts. Yeah, right on. And you guys do archery as well, or is it rifle or a little of both? Uh, I'm not afraid to do both. Right on. As long as the guy, you know, understands, you know, if you're archery, you know, you know, you got to be able to stock in close and, you know, and get it done. But so after your your deer season, are you rolling down into Mexico after that? Yep, hundred percent for mule deer. Yeah, uh, we'll do a sheep hunt probably. You know, uh, right after deer season, do a sheep hunt. And then uh, once uh, January rolls around, start doing uh, start doing mule deer hunts down there too, hopefully. So you just take a quick break in Reno, a little R&R between things, and then you head out. Where, you de- where are you when you go to Mexico? Uh, I'm kind of in that, uh, well, everybody's, you know, we're, we're hunting Sonora just like everybody else. But um, I kind of hang my hat down towards Guadalajara. Oh yeah. Do you ever, you know, I've, I've never, I've been to Mexico. I've never hunted Mexico. Do you ever find yourself in situations that you don't feel like you should be there a little bit, especially if you're close to a place like Guadalajara? Nope. Not even close. I've spent a lot of time down there and I've seen some stuff that, you know, that you're like, wow, I can't believe that just happened. And yet, Never once have I felt in any danger at all. It's if you don't bother them, they're not going to bother you. No, that's good. That's always, you know, it's a question I get asked whenever I go somewhere and you always hear other people ask it when they're, they're abroad is you know, safety is always number one. Cause you, you know, a lot of us, we're just, we only hear, we don't experience. So it's, so it's good to, good to hear that. Yeah. And then there's also you know, how, how long you, there's also a big difference between like going to the resorts, you know, all the Americanized resorts versus going to the heart of Mexico, you know, where like where I've been kind of hanging out. But um, like I said, you just, you know, it's kind of, you know, sketchy on some back roads at night. You don't, you don't go on back roads at night. You just kind of, you know, stick to your, stick to your areas and don't do nothing. that's going to put yourself in danger. When you're hunting, deer down there what's your tactics is it uh long distance glassing and then spot and stock or um yeah you're allowed to bait those deer down there so um you know they set up little bait stations and i don't and then they use the high racks but uh i'm not a big high rack person uh i'd rather you know use the high rack to go from point a to point b and you know hunt our way there but i like to get up on you know some glassing knobs and you know, really just hang out and put the glass to work. And then once you see it, the terrain, like where, 
it's actually pretty flat. Um, and they just have like these like hills or mountains. I don't know, like they're not really big mountains, but um, so you could, you know, there's coos deer up on the side of those and up on top. And then the mule deer are kind of down on the valleys and on the side of the, the hills and stuff. So you kind of just use pickup trucks and just kind of work your way around and cover as much area as you can. And you figured out, I figured out pretty quick, you know, where the deer were and the deer were not, you know, with the bait or without the bait. So, um, that's just how it was. So I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Are you- Killed some big deer. Well, I see some of those pictures you send, uh, or, and put on Instagram are quite something of those deer. Yeah. Very, very envious as a mule deer is my favorite hunt. So you know, I might have to make that, pull that trigger one day and go down to Mexico and chase him in the desert with you. Oh yeah, man. It's, I thought it was going to be a lot hotter, you know, with the desert stuff, but I was wearing the same clothes in the mountains in the Yukon. I was in the desert. Like I was, you're either going to get windburnt, sunburnt, and you're still cold. So, um, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a fun hunt. I, I'm looking forward to doing it again. Awesome. Are you guys chasing coos deer while you're there as well, or just specifically mule deer? Uh, the hunters I had last year, none of them wanted coos deer. So I, I would personally like to, to chase coos deer, even for myself. It's just kind of like one of those animals that, you know, I think that I might have to pull the trigger, or, you know, for myself. As long as the price doesn't go through the roof. Oh, you should be able to swing a deal, can't you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. How's that work when you go down there? Do you have to get special permits to guide down there? Do you have to get a license for while you're down there? No, I just... Uh, the outfitter. Yeah, just my buddy asked me to, if I wanted to guide some hunts for him, and I jumped on the opportunity. So bought my plane tickets and went down. All right, on. So we like to do a little thing around here when we get close to the end. We don't do it all the time, but when we're talking to guys that spend as much time in the bush as you do, do you got one story that just kind of that sticks out as, as terrifying, like your most dangerous point in the backcountry, whether it's down in Mexico and Alberta? You know, it could be a bear encounter. It could be you got yourself cliffed out, storm, whatever. One that just pops for you. Yeah, I almost uh, I almost quit the whole mountain guiding. You know, one time I was uh, doing a lot of scouting by myself and kind of slipped on some moss and was wearing my backpack. I went to sit down and it they actually the, the wall, like the cliff wall, actually pushed me forward and I kind of took a tumble down the mountain a little bit and was lucky enough that I hit the next ledge, which was only about probably less than three feet across. I think I fell about 10 or 12 feet and I hit the, hit that ledge and I grabbed onto wherever I could, took my backpack off and I don't know how long I sat there, but I was ready to, to quit guiding the mountains. I'm going to go back to the fishing lodge and, you know, maybe I'll just buy my own fishing lodge. It was, it was that close to the corner quits, but I think that was, uh, Oh, that was probably seven years ago, eight years ago. And so I haven't quit yet. Yeah, that's, uh, that would do it. <laughs> yeah, if that ledge you wasn't there. on for life. Yeah, if that ledge wasn't there, it was, uh, it was a far, far way down. So 
you kind of had to rethink the whole situation and, you know, what just happened and, you know, is this actually worth it at the, you know, couple hundred dollars a day that you're getting paid and with no clients and stuff like that. So you're like, uh, and then I don't know, I just kind of shook it off and I still do it. Yeah. It's hard to, uh, turn a blind eye on doing what you love, no matter how difficult the situation was. Oh yeah. I, I don't know if there's an end to me guiding anytime soon. I, you know, I, I think about not going to the Yukon for a season and I'm like, that's just crazy talk. You know, I, like <laughs> <laughs> I've lost a lot of relationships and I've missed a lot of, you know, birthdays, funerals, weddings, you know, you name it. I've missed all my friends biggest moments, you know, cause it's, I'm in the mountains. I'm, I'm gone, you know, just, you know, just get to leave for a weekend and go enjoy, you know, parties. But I think about not doing it and it sounds like a nightmare having a real job. Yeah. Nobody wants that. I have one. And I, I don't want it. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't envy you. I don't real think job. my wife or, yeah, I don't know if my wife and kids would allow the, uh, the guide life though. I might, uh, might be trouble at home. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, that's part of it. It's a big sacrifice and, but now it's just, now it's just getting harder and harder to find the guys that, you know, the younger guys that want to come and do it. It's just, I think we are talking there before. It's like kind of need to build something that, that the guys can, you know, know that these opportunities are there. Most of the guys that I talk to, they have no idea about this industry or how to get into it or, you know, so where I think yeah, high, yeah, like most outfitters, so you got a high turnover rate. Yeah. You know, just like you said, you know, guys, you know, find that lady and, you know, I start a family and just don't really want to go to the mountains anymore. So need the younger guys to come on, you know, come and replace them. Got to, got to trick them into it before they, uh, cement their life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, well, well, Brian, it's been uh, it's been great chatting with you, and uh, we appreciate you coming on. If if people are looking for you, how do they get a hold of you? Where do we find you? Yeah, Website, fa- Instagram. What? Yeah, Facebook and uh, and Instagram is probably the easiest way to find me. You know, um, just look up Brian Spitzig. Is that that the handle? Yep, Brian Spitzig, and I think on my Facebook it's Brian Michael Spitzig, but uh, you know, and then I have a my outfits Spitzig's outfitting. But uh, you don't get to see any of the cool Yukon uh, stuff on that one. You just get to see deer and black. So a couple questions for you, Brian. Uh, when's your next vacancy for Stone Sheep? What are you guys are booking, 25, 26? How, how far out do you got to go to get a, a – a, a... Mm, I think if you asked Aaron pretty nicely, he might, he might get in in like two years or three years. But uh, – Um, he doesn't really always book hundred percent solid. Um, you know, he's always got, you know, one or two open here or there, you know, just for shuffling people or, you know, return clients and stuff like that. So, um, I think the price these days, I heard that another outfit was going to go to $125,000 in two years for a stone sheep. So, yeah, I, 
I, I was hearing that some of the guys in BC were a hundred US right now for 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 next year. Like that's what their their price is at. So and it they don't go down. It's not like it get cheaper. No, right? So it's, it's like you know, guys think when they were fifty, they're like, holy crap, they're fifty, and then they're sixty, and now they're so yeah, it's it's best not to wait for these things in in my experience. Well, the biggest thing I see is that, you know, when people say it was you know, we're 70,000 US and he's, he's taught these guys like, that's way too much money. It's like, what do you have for, what do you drive? Well, I have a pickup truck. Okay. What year? 2023. It's like, well, there you go. There's a $110,000 pickup truck right there. So, you know, I have a 2014 Duramax, you know, 310,000 kilometers on it. You know, I just keep on, I don't need the newest, greatest, you know, truck to, do the same job that my Duramax does. So if people would actually just kind right. of put a little bit of money towards something, you know, they'll get the money there quicker than they think they will. So, you know, yeah, it's about priorities, right? What, what do you want to do? If you want to go hunt stone sheep, you'll find a way to 100%. do it. Right? And if you don't, you don't. 100%. Yeah. Oh, and then the other question I have for you is, uh, can, can a guy, can a guy get in with you this fall to, or this spring for a bear hunt or next fall for a, uh, kill some deer and stuff like that. Are you booking guys or are you kind of booked up ways up? Uh, yeah, kind of this spring I'm kind of booked up. Um, you know, I might be able to pinch, you know, someone in here or there, but, uh, um, yep. For, you know, fall hunts and Mexico hunts, stuff like that. Like, I'm I'm taking bookings for sure. Okay. And my last question is, um, we're going to see in the circle bar. I guess we're going to see the circle bar in, in January. Clearly, obviously, 100%. Right? I wouldn't miss Reno for anything, bud. Okay. Awesome. Look love, forward to it. Love to hear it. Hopefully, hopefully I got some more pictures, some big stone sheep to show you. Oh, I don't doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be awesome. Uh, appreciate it, Brian. Super stoked to have you on and, uh, and, uh, look forward to following you on, uh, social and, and what, uh, what you get up to this year. So appreciate your yeah, time. Thanks guys. It was a, it was a pleasure to jump on here and chat with you guys for a bit.